pandemics, global supply chain issues, cyberware attacks, inflation, the big quit. The list of disruptions goes on and on. We're living in a different world. It's more complex and moving faster than ever. This podcast is to help guide you through these turbulent times to ensure your organization can survive and thrive by becoming disruption-proof. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of Disruption Proof. Uh, Topic today is the rise of product management part two. So last time I talked a little bit about what I thought the history of product management was and what my personal experience with product management was. And I wanted to dive in today on why I think there's a rise of product management and what it means for large enterprises. So product management at large, like the, the, the big picture product management includes uh, quite a bit of things in, in, uh, in, in its, its role. So maybe starting with the, the vision of what the product's going to be and, and the needs that it's addressing and, and where it's going uh, and what the possibilities are of a particular product and how we're gonna get there, so the roadmap uh, all of the operational components that might be necessary to produce the product. So by operations, I mean the different parts inside of a company that touch the development and release and supporting of the product. Uh, the research and validation of the needs and you know the assumptions that go into building and releasing a, a product design and user experience. Uh, So understanding what the customer interaction is with a, uh, with a, with a product and really all its components from inception to release to supporting uh, that product Uh, feature prioritization. Of course, we talked about uh, quite a bit last time, the launch of the product. uh, So I touched on that as well. Uh, I think that the launch, the big launch should sort of go away or at least is different now. Um, metrics and the analytics part of product. So we can, we can touch on that. But said the, it's interesting to think about product management covering uh, all of those type of things. It seems like how can one role cover all of that? And in the end, in a mature organization, one role doesn't cover all of that. Uh, as I mentioned last time, the vision and roadmap is often given to what's called a product owner now uh, in an agile world anyway. Uh, the operational component in a mature company, there's an operational component. They figured out what they need to do to support a product. And I think the, the PM then doesn't need to touch those groups as much as in the past. Uh, you often hire specific people to do the design part of it. Um, and then, of course, there's the there's the brand management side of marketing, but there's also product marketing itself, which has emerged, I think, as its own thing and uh, is almost the go-between now between the brand management side of marketing, the selling side, and product management as a discipline. So the product managers are focused more on the development of the product, whereas the product marketers take take that over from the 
you know, the benefits that have been built to how do you market those benefits? And the metrics and analytics part of it is, uh, how do we measure whether we've built the right thing? Uh, and so, uh, that's more important than ever. And it really gets to why I think product management is, is just still on the rise. I mean, I actually think we're still in the early majority part of product management um, because most large corporations don't have product management functions. So I mentioned last time about uh, how product management perhaps emerged from brand management at Procter & Gamble in the 1930s. Uh, and a lot of consumer goods, packaged goods have continued this idea of uh, the brand owning what goes into the product and the patch packaging of the product and uh and whereas in the in the digital world that those things really belong to the product manager well well now that we've got digital transformation and everything is becoming more digital we start to see that uh product management becomes a function inside of virtually all large enterprises, any large enterprise that's doing digital products needs product management. And it really gets back to the agile nature that I was talking about last time where those products are never done. And so you need this ability to translate consumer needs, also known as consumer requirements to engineering. And engineering is focused on the building and the product management is focused on getting the right things into the product and uh, product marketing and brand marketing is responsible for the, the marketing and selling of the product, or at least the marketing part of it, if you have a sales force. Uh, I think that those things are a, a little bit too linear and a little bit too siloed. I think that as companies adopt agile throughout an organization and not just in the product function, what you'll see is that much of the activities in, in, uh, in discovering new opportunities, figuring out the right product to build, validating user needs, uh, building the product, or testing, you know, what's going to go into the product as well as what the right business model is and, and what the best way is to market those products. Those things end up being best served by interdisciplinary or cross-functional teams until the market is proven. So if you hit product market fit, then you get to this point where you have less cross-functionality and you have teams that are comprised of people that actually look more alike. And that's because there's little uncertainty. And so when you reduce the uncertainty of what's going into a product or any aspects of a product's business model, then in order to execute on those things, you tend to have to form teams that are focused purely on the execution. And so you still are forming those teams based upon the requirements, the people requirements, the skills needed in order to accomplish that team's mission. Um, but if you're building parts of the product, then you need engineers. Uh, whereas in the uncertainty where you're 
discovering and validating what needs to go into the product uh, than a cross-functional team that, that includes support and product managers and marketers and sellers as well as engineers makes more sense, right? So, uh, so now we're in this digital age and large enterprises are becoming more digitized, uh, especially those that, you know, that are early in the digital transformation process. It means that they, there's a lot of uncertainty. And so they need these different skill sets, often led by product management throughout their company. So this, it's almost like the early stages of product management that I, that I talked about uh, last time. So, so when I was at the boutique software and I brought product management into the company, after, after a couple of years there, uh, I was running a lot of the strategic components for the whole company at that point, but we decided to do a, an appliance, a hardware appliance. And so this was the first time ever that it, this boutique software would company would be producing and supporting hardware. And so I actually hired uh, a product manager from Cisco that had experience with hardware. Uh, and it was interesting because he actually struggled a bit, uh, number one, coming from a big company and number two, coming with a hardware background into a software company. Uh, and, you know, he's a smart guy and uh, he actually, I think, you know, did the core of his job very well in, in, uh, in leading the way towards uh, building out these functions throughout the company to support a hardware product. But he struggled in the sense that he was coming from a big company and this was a small, agile, fast moving company. And so those things, um, those things were difficult. Uh, obviously I, I should have done a better job myself as the leader, but, uh, I think that the, the strong, the good part of the story is, is that in that example, you know, there's the, customer support changes, the, uh, you have product returns, you have product failures uh, in hardware, you know, that's different before. You have uh, partner relationships, uh, vendors that are producing parts of the product, um, you know, like RMA processes that go both ways, like go from us to our supplier, but also from customers to us. Um, so really, uh, all sorts of operational components. And that was driven by product management in that company because there was nobody else to be the driver for those type of things. And I'm guessing that the, the transformation that happens inside of large enterprises when you start doing digital products is going to be similar. The real question is, is whether the large enterprises will recognize that they need that product management function. So a lot of those companies will already have different departments or different functions that already own those different aspects, but they either have to give up some of their control or they have to learn new tricks and they don't want to learn new tricks that in the end, you will need a centralized function that teaches them and gets them up to speed and, and ensures that a digital product is delivered and supported 
um, as required by digital products. And so I think like in companies that don't have product managers and maybe they, it's a consumer good and they have brand managers and they still have engineering roles, whether or not they're called program management, they have project management functions inside of their development groups in order to manage the products of de developing their products that at one point in time were done when they were done. Now you have uh, digital products that are not done and that need uh, support in different ways than brand managers are used to doing. And so who's going to fill that void? Well, that void is going to be filled by product management or else it's going to be done very poorly for a while until somebody figures out that they need that role. And so we're starting to see it. We're seeing the rise of product titles, product owners, uh, chief product officers, VPs of product, and then product management functions that are being created inside of what might be called legacy institutions, these old non-digital uh, enterprises. And so, uh, like I said earlier, I think that early on, boy, product managers are really going to have to do heavy lifting inside of those organizations because, again, they may have the functions that are responsible for different aspects of the, the building and the release and the supporting uh, of digital products, but they don't know how to do it yet. And at the beginning, while they're learning how to do that, they need to be cross-functional and they don't have really the wherewithal to do that either, unless there's a whole digital group that's being set up separate, which is a fine way to go. Um, but that's, that's, uh, that's sort of an interesting quote unquote, uh, innovation. And so I've had these conversations with, uh, multiple people about, you know, why is it that the innovation groups didn't do digital transformation? If all of these innovation groups were out there testing what was coming and what needed to be done in order to make the companies more competitive, shouldn't digital transformation have come out of the innovation groups, the innovation labs? And largely they did not. So I, I don't know of examples where they did. I'm open to hearing if people have examples. Um, but what's interesting is that in my book, Disruption Proof, I talk about how, in my view, the future company merges from within the existing company. It's not a case of disruptive innovation. It's not a case of you launch a new startup and the startup is eventually going to be the snake that eats its own tail. It's not about cannibalization. It's about, it's about a function that starts inside the company and those aspects of the company that can or need or will be digitized starts to emerge in this entity that's inside the company. Uh, and that that perhaps emerges as eventually as the future company. And the quote unquote death of the old non-digital company happens 
rather organically. It's not a radical disruption. It's that new generations of customers or customers that sort of, you know, are adopting mobile, for instance, start downloading mobile apps instead of using, like, think about the, think about banks. Uh, ATM, ATMs were essentially a digital transformation component. People didn't stop using the old functions of the bank. People use the old functions of the bank less. But almost all major banks, I mean, now we're getting to the point where there's a number of digital-only banks, but a lot of major banks still have branches. And the role of the branches changes as the needs change over time. And so maybe, yeah, maybe in the future, maybe in the even the future that we can foresee, there will be no more branches. Uh, but, you know, Capital One, for instance, as part of their innovation, turned their branches into cafes where they could also meet personally and understand the needs of their customers better. So that's pretty interesting development. So there's these ways of leveraging even the past to help produce the future. It's not this radical switchover from like Netflix, you know, like, oh, we're not going to do, well, even they still do their mail order. Uh, there's much ballyhoo around like the radical transformation, the radical switchover when it doesn't have to happen that way. It's this, we're going to digitize what we should be digitizing and we're going to be testing and figuring out how we can use technology that's coming down the pipe uh, how we might be able to uh, digitize even more in the future. And and the new company emerges from within the old company. Uh, it's not a teardown. Uh, and so that's what I'm seeing really with the, the companies that are, are doing the digital transformation correctly. And of course, the, the, then these functions that grow out of the digitization, things like understanding customers more deeply, uh, running experiments, and we're not talking about, you know, just split testing landing pages or whatever, but running experiments to trying to figure out what the behavior is of uh, customers in order to figure out what they should be building or digitizing. And a matter of fact, again, companies like Procter & Gamble have done those type of experiments for, for a long time. Um, and then these product management functions are, are end up, you know, being the first ones to create a bridge uh, in a digital way, in a new way, in a modern Silicon Valley technical way, this bridge between uh, the different parts of the company on the customer side, support and professional services and selling and marketing and the the technical side that has to figure out what's the best way to uh, implement technology to to be successful to solve customer needs to address their needs and and so this means that inside of this emerging business the product management will have a big role and uh, and the leader of that group is like. It's truly the the product owner or the big vision, or perhaps he has people. She has people reporting uh, to her that that own um, 
that own the vision. Um, but all of that goes straight up to the to the C-suite. And it's done in order to meet the corporate objectives in terms of growth and revenue and, and whatnot. And so we get back to the the list of historically the, the different functions of product management, the vision roadmap, the operational components necessary to build, deliver, and support a product, the research and, and validation of customer needs, uh, emerging market segments, how are demographics changing to affect what the needs will be, uh, the design and uh, user experience, and and you know, that's not just the product, it's all of the digital components of marketing, selling, supporting uh, products, yeah, prioritization of what's going into the products, supporting the launch, helping translate back from the engineering into the marketing, how the features provide uh, specific benefits, and then the metrics and the analytics. Uh, so this kind of gets back to, uh, an earlier talk I did on, on value streams. Value streams come from the lean world and describe all of the acti activities that a company must do in order to create and deliver value to customers. Uh, but in, in the high degree of uncertainty when you're first creating the digitization of products or new digital products, then there's the part of value stream that I call value stream discovery. And the value stream discovery then is, again, it gets back to the validation and the testing to figure out what, what do you actually need to create, but also other aspects of the digital business model. And so if you think about the inside of the corporation, not only is it, can they build the digital products, but what is the business model? How are, are they selling it? via their existing sales channels, or is it now going to be online sales, or is it a hybrid? How are they going to manage their channel? Is that different? Uh, if they're doing hardware uh, with the digital, is you know how does that affect supply chain? Uh, how are they going to charge for it? Is this a subscription price versus a flat? So again, you can look at, uh, you can look at the different boxes in a, uh, Osterwalder's uh, business model canvas and think about, okay, you know, in the digital product space, what parts of these, what are these boxes that we actually have is new to the company and who's going to run that? Who's going to own that? Well, product management owns it to begin with. And then as the company, as the product becomes successful, there are those functions that already exist inside the business that need to be taught the new digital skills, or for a while they are, inside the digital group until they become uh, the de facto uh, group that does those, those functions. Um, but part of the value stream discovery process is, is learning then what is the user experience or the customer experience all the way through first becoming aware of a product to becoming satisfied that it's doing what was promised and, that, um, and then maybe even passionate about it. You close the loop there and all of those things you need to be able to measure and then you work at optimizing them. Uh, and so again, early on, the measurement is, okay, we're still learning what's the right way to do these different parts of the value stream discovery process. 
we're iterating on them, we're running experiments, we're trying to figure it out. And the metrics that we're tracking are perhaps learning metrics. Um, so we're seeing, you know, we don't necessarily know what engagement looks like, but here's what we're seeing based upon the data. Here's the month over month growth of a particular market segment that's using the product in a particular way. And so those are all ways that we try to figure out what is the, uh, in the end, what will be the engagement or the use of the product that we want to optimize. And when you're getting into optimized territory, that's you know sort of around what we call product market fit. And now your, uh, as I mentioned earlier, your cross-functional or interdisciplinary teams start looking, the people on the team start looking, uh, looking similar to each other because you're, you're, as you're optimizing, you're getting into execution mode. And uh, while you should still be tracking things like the engagement, now you actually have revenue that is going to be the bottom line, what people are tracking. And so you can sort of imagine at the beginning of a transformation process, uh, you have no revenue. So you're looking at these learning metrics to try to figure out what's the right things to optimize. As you figure those out and you're optimizing, now you have revenue. And eventually, uh, if you're wildly successful, those revenues significantly displace the revenues of the non-digital parts of the business so that the digital part of the business becomes the core part of the business. And what's key and what I try to cover in Disruption Proof is that you don't want that new core part of the business to be stagnant, that you always have to keep that learning mode, that exploration mode, and hopefully that the structure of the company, which allows for the cross-functional and interdisciplinary skill set as needed, hopefully that structure then emerges such that whatever the wave that comes in the future, the company is actually prepared to adapt to that wave. And again, to me, that's where product management in a mature organization that is able to continue that adaptation, product management becomes a very core function because I think that they have that that dual uh, core, that dual part of their nature that allows for the continuous iteration and learning and transformation. And that's the business side uh, bridged to the, to the technical side, to the engineering side. And so again, that gets back to the heart of product management. And I think um, will quickly become the heart of, uh, of digital transformation. So thanks for joining me on the, these two episodes about the rise of product management. Uh, love to get your feedback on, on what you think and what your organization is doing uh, with respect to product management as part of your quote unquote innovation or digital transformation uh, initiatives. So long till next time, have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Disruption Proof Podcast. My mission is to help as many business leaders and startup founders as I can grapple with the increased complexity and uncertainty in the business world. It would mean a lot to me if you could please leave a review of the show and share it with friends and colleagues. Wishing you all the best and remember, be kind first.